The title of my sermon today is The Christian Church, The Christian Church. Now, there's a lot of, I want to call them jobs or tasks within a church that are essential for the ministry of a church to function. A whole lot of them, and I couldn't even begin to start to list them. But one that I find very important is right here. You know, the people who put this thing together, the bulletin. I don't know about you guys, but I, I need this stuff, you know. I mean, you look at the bulletin, right, and I mean, the, the one side with, you know, my sermon outline and stuff. I've always said, how perfect would it be for you to fill in all the blanks, which you could a little bit later when I start giving you the points. Fill in those blanks. You can then give this to somebody else. It has all the information they need, not only about Christ, but also about our church. But then just the announcements. Yeah, I'm telling you right now, I need, I need a list. And this is perfect. It gives you that list. So I really give a lot of credit to Debbie and her children as they put this thing together every week. Um, but I, I, at the same time, I've been here for, for nine months, and I've never seen this w w with them. But every once in a while, there's a blooper in, in the bulletin. And let me just say one word that's re rearranged just a little bit can mess up the entire meaning of the announcement we're trying to make. So here's a couple examples of these that, that were compiled somewhere on the internet that I am now going to read to you. So the scouts are having or saving aluminum cans, bottles, and other items to be recycled. Proceeds will be used to cripple children. I'm assuming it did not mean to cripple children, but for cripple children. Here's another one. Our youth basketball team is back in action Wednesday at 8 p.m. in the recreation hall. Come out and watch us kill Christ the King. This is a good one. The peacemaking meeting scheduled for today has been canceled due to conflict. Uh, for those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. Uh, sometimes I wonder if I don't know it. I don't know. If I don't know that they're there, maybe they just disappear, but that, that's not how it works, I don't think. Let's see. Uh, next Thursday, there will be tryouts for the choir. They need all the help they can get. Let's see. Uh, at the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, What is Hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. <laughs> the, the, whoever put these together must really not have enjoyed their choir. I don't know, because there's another one a little bit later, too. Uh, the fasting and prayer conference includes meals. So, and then, oh, this, you're going to like this one. Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Bring your husbands. Uh, don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. Here's another one about the choir. Eight new choir robes are currently needed due to the addition of several new members and the deterioration of some older ones. Uh, let's see. Please place your donation in the envelope along with the deceased person you want remembered. And then last but not least, Weight Watchers will meet at 7 p.m. at the First Presbyterian Church. Please use large double doors at the side entrance. So here's kind of the, the I don't know why I decided to read those as my introduction. The point I'm getting at this morning is we're going to look at the church and look at what we can learn more specifically about the early followers of Jesus. We're not even talking about the early church. We're talking about those individuals who were following Jesus as he wandered around the region of Galilee in serving God. We're going to look and see what we can learn about them. Uh, but before we do, let's take a moment to go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I ask that you put a very special touch on us now as we enter your word. 
Bless me as I do my best to declare only what you want me to say. Allow me to proclaim your word in a way that makes sense to all of us, that we can apply it in our lives, Lord, and allow us to remember you in all that we do as we worship you now. In your name, amen. Turn me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Like I said a moment ago, in your bulletin there are some blanks in, in, in like the outline. I'm going to be filling in those blanks as the slides come up and as I make my three points. I encourage you to do it, and I encourage you to give this to somebody. You don't, you don't really need the bulletin. You can get another bulletin at the door. You can fill in these blanks and give it to your neighbor, and it's a step away from evangelizing, which I think would be, it's a great, at least a, a, a what that, that starting point of evangelism. It opens that door to evangelize. Hey, I was thinking about you. You know, my pastor had a sermon that I thought would be perfect for you, and you, I don't know, you give him the notes is the thought, so... So, let's start off. We're going to look at chapter 8. We're going to look at the first three verses. And this section of Luke, as well as several other sections in the Gospel of Luke, are what I would call summarizational passages. Luke is very good with these. He likes these in there. So you'll see his narrative. He'd be giving his narrative, and then he would decide to summarize either a period of time or just kind of summarize what's been going on. And that's what takes place here. And what he's really doing is he's condensing the details a little bit, and he's getting to the point a little bit quicker. And in this section of the text, he's going to tell us a little bit about those individuals that were following him around. Remember, Jesus said that foxes have holes, and I'm trying to quote it right, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was essentially homeless. Him, along with this, this, this band of individuals, his followers, traveled around the region, sleeping in camping-like settings and worshiping God and teaching different people. What did this group look like? And that's what we're going to find out today. So in these verses, Luke gives us some information about those who were following Jesus. I believe that we can learn from this information. We can learn about these individuals and we can learn from them as a church. So the question I want to address today is this. What can our church, again, specifically Central Baptist Church, Niles, Ohio, but for anybody, any, any church for that matter, what could a local church learn from Jesus' early followers? Number one, Central Baptist Church in Niles, Ohio, needs to be a gospel-driven church. That's the first blanks in your page, the go- a gospel-driven church. Look at verse 1, Luke chapter 8. I'm going to read the first half of verse 1. <coughs> Uh, He says, Luke writes, Soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. And we're going to pause right there. Soon afterwards, undisclosed period of time, sometime pretty quickly after the events that we we talked about last week, um, that that, that surely read a little bit earlier, the end of chapter 7. After this, his visit with Simon the Pharisee, his interaction with this woman who anointed his feet with perfume, Jesus has this take place. He goes on a speaking tour, let's say. He goes from village and city to village and city, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Proclaiming, and let me make sure I say it right. Um, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. To proclaim, if you looked at it in Greek, literally means to proclaim in a manner of a herald. We always say, hark the herald angels sing. Well, what the angels were doing is they were making a public announcement that the birth of Christ had taken place, that Jesus had been born. And that's kind of what what Jesus is doing here. What what Luke is telling us that Jesus was doing, at least partly, was proclaiming that the kingdom of God was coming, that the kingdom of God was at hand. He was making a public announcement. When I think about this, I think about evangelism really to the point. right? You think about what we do when we evangelize. You go and you tell someone about Jesus. You're making an announcement to them about Christ. 
in a, and you think about maybe a more public setting. I mean, again, I'm not saying we do this on a regular basis, but some churches do, some people do. You go to New York City, you're bound to find that guy standing on a box screaming out real loud. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God, maybe not in the most biblical way. You know, maybe he's off in his own little world somewhere. But the point is, he's making a public announcement. He's shouting with a loud voice. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what this word means to proclaim. The Greek word used here for preaching is a very interesting word. It is literally, this is the Greek word, it's euangelizo, euangelizo. Euangelizo is the, in, in its verb form means to bring good news, to announce glad tidings, but in its noun form, if we were going to look at it in a noun form, it literally would mean the good news or the gospel. It is the word we get our word gospel from. Whenever you hear about the gospel of Christ, all I'm doing is, is saying a word that really should say, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. If I'm going to proclaim the gospel to you, I am presenting to you the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Of course, though, well, Jesus was not proclaiming the gospel because he has not, how do you say it? It wasn't fulfilled yet, if you, is a good way to put it. It wasn't completed yet. Jesus was still alive. He had not died and rose from the grave. That is the key element of what the gospel message is. The good news that Jesus was proclaiming was that of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God in Luke's context. We need to understand the kingdom of God as meaning the message of the forgiveness, salvation, and peace of God. That was my sermon last week. We talked about how there's forgiveness in the Lord, salvation in the Lord, and peace in the Lord. From the context of Luke's time, that is not completed. It's not the complete gospel of Jesus Christ yet. From our perspective, the Christian church, meaning every person that's ever been a Christian from the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus rose from the grave, 10 days after he ascended to heaven, until this very day, that just shy of 2,000 year period of time. During that period of time, all the people who became Christians are part of what I would call the Christian church, capital C for church, where this is a local church, lowercase c, our church. The point I'm getting at here is that we no longer need to proclaim the kingdom of God. We're proclaiming the full gospel message, the gospel message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God alone wasn't enough to save them. They needed to look forward to Jesus' death. When Jesus died on the cross to forgive them of their sins and rose from the grave so that they can go to heaven when they die, the gospel message was fulfilled. It was full. It was true. The good news of Jesus could truly be proclaimed If you believe in your heart, so Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of sins and rose from the grave to go to heaven when you die. If you believe this in your heart and confess it with your mouth, you're saved. That's what salvation is. So now my question is this. How can Central Baptist Church or any local church for the matter, but specifically our church, how could we be a gospel-driven church? And I, I'm looking at this from two perspectives. First of all, as individuals, what could we as individuals do to be gospel-driven? And I think it's very, very simple. Be a witness for Christ. Tell other people about Jesus. We are all called to go and make disciples of all nations. You're called to present the gospel to whoever you come across. You're called to make a defense for the, the happiness, the joy that you have within you to your neighbors, to your friends, to your family members, to your coworkers, to whoever. But then there's also the corporate aspect of this. From a corporate perspective, meaning us as a group, us as a church, me as the leader of this church, what can we do? And I think what I, one thing I need to do is encourage you to evangelize. That's what this is right now. I'm preaching about it. I'm encouraging you. 
We do this by giving you opportunities. This next week on Tuesday, we're going to the nursing home. I was talking to someone before. I mean, this is a group of people that, you know, can you imagine... I think Debbie mentioned it. There's a, somewhere you can get, like, a, like go to, like, I forgot what it was, Target or something, and you can buy things for older people for Christmas. I mean, we think about the children who aren't getting anything for Christmas. How about the older people that aren't going to even get a visit in the nursing home for Christmas? And then I was also thinking how these are a group of people that literally, uh, I mean, I hate to be frank, but they're on the doorstep to, to passing away. If we don't do something about them now, they might go, they might not make it to heaven. And that's why we go. That's the only, I mean, there's no other reason to just go to the nursing home if it wasn't for going to proclaim the gospel and to build people up in their faith. I mean, we go and provide a church service to people who might not get church. We go twice a month. That's the amount of church these people get. I mean, hopefully they get it in other aspects. Some of them do. We know of some of them that do, but not all of them. And a lot of them, this might be the only church they ever received. They might not have had the luxury of being in a church that we were able to provide child, like the children's ministries that we do here. And my, my point here is that it's a chance that you have to present the gospel that this church is providing you. Another example is the Niles Community Service Food Distribution. They're not, Niles Community Services isn't a Christian organization, so we can't just go proclaim the gospel, but it's an opportunity to be out there with people who are in need. And you never know when the opportunity arises to tell them about Christ. I know Jerry does that on a regular basis. You know, talk to him about when a good time to come and help him is. Uh, some other opportunities where we, we've done before the parades, we did our the uh, uh, Howland which one did we do? The 4th of July parade, and we did the, the Niles Halloween parade. I mean, we were able to present the gospel that way, present our church. You never know. We gave out the little baggies that in those bags that had our little track that told them how to come to know the Lord. These are chances we have to present the gospel. And being a part of them is you being able to evangelize. Uh, we did our, um, our, um, our um, Easter egg hunt not too long ago, well, a while ago now, Easter. But, um, we, but the other one I've thought a lot about is Kids Zone. You know, we have a handful of kids coming. We're hoping to make this bigger. These are kids that that might be the only church they ever get. They don't get to come to this church. Some of the kids don't come to church in the morning. They come at Kids Zone. And these are kids that if you get them now, you never know what's going to happen. They're going to, who knows what's going to happen in their faith. I mean, how many of us can honestly say you were saved as a child? I mean, I think about how um, one of the influential people was a woman. I don't even know where she is. I'm, I'm assuming she's passed away. Uh, an older lady that taught me at Vacation Bible School and at my children's church. This is a woman that got me to where I'm at today. All of us have those people in our lives. And I think we need to remember to be that to other people as well, to these children as they're old. Um, I, the other way that I think we can do it from a group perspective is giving you the opportunities to learn how to evangelize. That's kind of what we're doing today. I'm doing more encouraging you to evangelize. But every once in a while, our Sunday school curriculum or during our Bible studies or even during my sermons, it's a chance to literally learn what we need to do to evangelize. And I've told you this before. The information we need to present to people is that Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins and rose from the grave so you can go to heaven when you die. If you believe that in your heart and confess that with your mouth, you are saved. That is evangelism. I mean, that's information that you need to get. And I, my hope as your pastor is to give you those opportunities to learn how to evangelize. And, and that's one of my goals for this next year is to have an evangelism training. Uh, let me read you a couple Bible passages. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 to 38. Uh, then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. The reality is... Not a whole lot of Christians go out into the harvest. This isn't talking about going overseas to become a missionary. This is talking about telling people about Jesus at your work or in this grocery store or even just your family members. 
there's just so many more, uh, like you think about a harvest, you go to Nebraska or somewhere, or Iowa, and you see all that corn. You know, there's a whole lot of corn out there. It drives me nuts. I, when we drove here, you know, in March or in, in February, it's amazing how much, you know, and there was nothing there then, but these fields are empty. And I've driven through them before. There's a whole lot to harvest. Imagine if there wasn't enough people to harvest it. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. The harvest is plentiful, but there's not enough laborers to go out into that harvest so I'm encouraging you now to be a laborer in the harvest, a harvest of the Lord. Go tell people about Christ. Harvest those individuals. Lead them towards a relationship with Jesus. You're not in control. I wish we were. Sometimes I wish I could just throw people in my trunk and bring them to church. It would be easier that way. But that's not how it works. I've, I've joked. Sometimes I wish we could just do some Bible thumping. Just start banging people on the back of the head. Maybe they'll catch on. But that's not how it works. We need to just love on them, show them Jesus, tell them about Christ. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Now Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are called to go and make disciples of all nations. But that doesn't mean you need to go overseas. If that's God's calling for you, I encourage you to do so. But you can, if you're not, a thought that we've always said is you're not going to be a missionary overseas telling people about Jesus if you're not telling people about Jesus right here in your own hometown. If you're not telling people about Jesus within your own family, we need to do it. We live in a world where the vast majority of humankind does not know Christ as the Lord and Savior. Bottom line, a large percentage of our world today are on the highway to hell unless we do something about it. Tell your family and friends about the amazing love of Jesus Christ. Tell your coworkers and neighbors about what Jesus has done for you in dying on the cross to forgive you of your sins and rising from the grave so you can go to heaven when you die. Proclaim and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to everybody and anybody, no matter who they are. So number one, we have to, the Central Baptist Church needs to be a gospel-driven church. Number two, Central Baptist Church needs to be a welcoming and loving church. A welcoming and loving church. Look at verse 1, the second half of verse 1, all the way down to the first half of verse 3. Luke writes, The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others. So let's take a look at this group of people. This is an interesting group. It's a summary. Um, I'm assuming there were more men than just the 12 disciples. And as Jesus said, many other women were amongst them, but he only gives, or not Jesus, but Luke says, many other women were with them, but only three were listed. So first of all, we have the 12. Several months ago, we talked about the 12. Judas is a bad example. We don't like talking about him, but the other 11 did a lot of great things for the Lord. Of the 11 remaining disciples after Jesus ascended to heaven, 10 of those 11 died a martyr's deaths, praising Jesus and putting him on display to what they do and what they said. They were from different professions, and they, I would also say that they were from different economic perspectives. These weren't rich people, but not all of them at least. Some of them were fishermen, some of them were tax collectors, different people. And then Jesus gave us a list of some women. Now, this is a very interesting thing. Just like you can envision in the Middle East today, Women are kind of on a, a, a maybe second-class citizens compared to the men. Women would not have been allowed in those times to sit under a rabbi's teaching, let alone to travel with him. Yet look at what Jesus is doing. Jesus was truly a revolutionary. 
I mean, he was, he was allowing these women to be a part of his ministry. He was allowing them to, to listen to his teaching. The example I think about, the story about Martha and Mary at Lazarus' house, Jesus is teaching Martha, spending time preparing all the food, while Mary is spending time listening to Jesus preach. And, and that's, that's the difference. In, in that culture, that was not acceptable. The women were not allowed to listen to the rabbi teach. Yet Jesus has opened that door. Luke described these women as being, all the women that were with him as being healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Uh, these women owed a great debt of gratitude to Christ for what he has done for them. And then, like I said, he gives three examples of these women, two of which we know a little bit about, one of which we know a lot about, and the third we don't know nothing about. So first of all, Mary Magdalene was a woman from the area, or from a town called Magdala. That's why she's called Magdalene. Uh, Mary Magdalene really is Mary from Magna, Magdala, which was near Tiberias along the western side of the Sea of Galilee. Most of Jesus' ministry took place in the Capernaum area. If you can envision the sea, you have the top of it, you have Capernaum on the, at the peak of it, down to the, your left side, if you're looking at the western side of the sea, was Tiberias, and near Tiberias was Magdala, which was where Mary Magdalene was from. Uh, she was with Christ at the very end of his time on this earth. So she was really with Christ for a long period of time, for the vast majority of his ministry. But she was one of the few. Remember who disappeared at the cross? All the men ran off except John. All the women were there at the foot of the cross as Jesus died. Very interesting thought. Mary Magdalene as well as Joanna uh, were two of these women. Tradition holds, church tradition holds that she was a prostitute. They actually believe, uh, church tradi tradition believed that Mary was the woman described by Luke in the, in the previous verses of chapter, uh, chapter 7. But more modern beliefs say that that's not the case, mainly because of Luke's inclusion of her in this list of individuals, these list of women who financially supported Christ, which we're going to talk about in a few moments. So the thought is she might have just been another influential lady. But it does say she, lost, she had seven demons cast out of her, which was a, a the number seven indicates that it was a large number, more so. It a, it's an important number in the Bible, the number seven. So that, that's, that's the point there. So we have Mary Magdalene. Now we have Joanna. Joanna was an interesting woman as well. Like Mary, she was present through a lot of Jesus' ministry, including his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, where she was a witness of the resurrected Christ along with Mary. And the only two references in the Bible to her is here, as well as in Luke chapter 24, where Jesus had risen from the grave. Uh, she was the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. A steward was the, the, the leader of a household. He kind of cared for Herod's household. Uh, this must have been a well, she must have, I mean, he must have had a well-off position because his wife was able to travel along with Jesus, is the thought, as well as support him. And another interesting thought, just because I get into this stuff, um, Luke had sources, this is where he gets his information, just like a reporter, right? A reporter goes out and they get their sources. Luke had a lot of information about Herod Antipas, and the thought is that he got it from Joanna. Um, that's the thought. So third woman now that, Jesus, or that Luke listed was Susanna. Other than this mention, nothing is known about her. We know nothing about Susanna. It could be assumed that she was well off because, again, she was in this list of women who were financially supporting Christ and his ministry. So what's the point? Jesus was surrounded by an interesting group of diverse individuals. Men and women, rich and poor, high social status and low social status, and even those considered righteous and those considered sinful. It needs to be assumed that those following Christ at this point were exclusively Jewish people. But as we know from looking at the early church, the church, I mean, looking at the church today, the church has been, is, is completely diverse. It's a very multicultural and multi-ethnic 
church. An example of that is Revelation chapter 7. John, the disciple, records what he's seeing in, 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 in heaven from the island of Patmos. He says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches, were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see how it says there, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. This is, we, we have a very diverse church, a diverse group of people from all sorts of places. And I think something that's very important to point out, because a lot of people don't get this sometimes. Christianity is not just an Anglo religion. It's not just a white religion. It's a religion that is inclusive of multi-ethnic groups. Uh, so what does this mean for us? How can Central Baptist Church be a welcoming and loving church? And this is my thought. If someone new walks into that church, I want them to feel as though they are the most important person in the world. I want them to feel the love of Christ seeping out of us. I want them to be treated just like Jesus would have treated them. That's my goal. And then my other thought was this. If someone within our group wants to do something, they have a, a desire to serve God in some way, whatever way that may be, I want us to do whatever it takes to try to get them to that point. You know, I'm tired of the excuses of someone's not qualified. Well, let's make them qualified. You know what? If someone wants to do it, if someone wants to serve, who am I to tell them not to? We need to help them to do that. So then my question is why? Why, does, why should we be welcoming and inclusive and loving? And I think it's because God, God was, is the bottom line. God, because God does not show favoritism to anybody. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Keep your finger here. We're going to be back here in a moment. But turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 1 down to verse 11. So the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says this, Therefore you have no excuse, everyone who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will es escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance, but because of your stubbornness and unrepented heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immorality, eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation is what is due them. Then verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, in, of the Jew first and also the, uh, of the Greek, but the glory, of, uh, glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good to the Jew first and also the Greek. And then verse 11 here is really the key. For there is no partiality with God. There is no partiality with God. Other translations might say there's no favoritism with God. God doesn't pick and choose. He loves everybody equally. Bottom line, uh, we, need to be doing, we need to do the same thing. 
You know, if someone comes in, if someone comes into your realm of influence, you need to love them like Jesus would do. That's really the bottom line. And, and the reality here is this. There is no room in the Christian church for racism or discrimination. Bottom line. No way around it. God is, and here's, here's my rationale. This type of hatred goes completely against everything that God stands for. How can you hate another person based on the way God made them? Think about that. To hate someone because they were created in a, with darker skin or with, with, with lighter skin or speaks a certain language. That's the way God made that person. So then in hating the person that way, the hating the person the way God made them is essentially hating God himself. We need to act like Jesus and love everyone, no matter who they are, bottom line. So, number one, gospel. we need to be a gospel-driven church. Number two, uh, Central Baptist Church needs to be a loving and welcoming church. And now, finally, number three, Central Baptist Church needs to be a financially generous church, a financially generous church. Look at the end of verse 3. I'm going to probably read all of verse 3 just to gain a context. Back in Luke, it said, In Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others. And then the, the, the who here is the women who were contributing to their support out of their private means. Who were contributing to their support out of their private means. As a result of the great debt these women felt from, uh, as a result of their, 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 the, the healing and the, and the casting out of demons that Jesus gave to these women, they gave back. They contributed to his cause financially. Their financial support was essential to Jesus' ministry. It would not have existed without the financial support. In the same way that your financial support is essential to the ministry of Central Baptist Church. We wouldn't be able to be here. The lights wouldn't be on if there wasn't money coming in through the offering plate through contributions to him. The lights maybe aren't even a good example. Honestly, we wouldn't be able to serve God and put Christ on display through, through this church if it wasn't for the financial support of this church. So, how can Central Baptist Church be a financially generous church? And it's through our giving. The reality is it's through our giving. It might not be the best part. No one likes to hear about, about tithing. But we're going to talk about tithing very briefly as I head towards my conclusion. So what is tithing? Tithing is an Old Testament concept. It was the idea that the Israelites would give 10% of their resources, 10% of their crops, their cattle, etc., in, in, in providing for the tabernacle and the temple. Nowhere in the New Testament is tithing commanded or even recommended. Now that you hear that, nowhere in the New Testament is tithing commanded or even recommended. Nonetheless, the New Testament does tell us to give financially, so let's look at that now. What does Jesus say about giving to the church? Mark chapter 12 tells an interesting story here. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 to 42, or 41 to 44 says this. And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributions or contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. My Bible actually tells me that the, the Greek word used here for cent literally means one sixty-fourth of a denarii. Remember, a denarii was a day's wage. So whatever you make in a day divided by 64, that's the amount of money the woman put in from our equivalent. So my thought was a couple of bucks. 
And, and I can envision some of us thinking about this, right? I mean, you think about people putting in the offering plate, and, and I can envision people being critical about how much people put in and how much other people don't put in. The, the point here is that Jesus is telling, the, the, telling his disciples that the woman gave everything she had. She gave it all over to God. Now, why did she give her last remaining coins to the Lord? And I would say it's out of worship to God. God wants us to give everything to him in worship. This ain't me saying give everything to God in financial, from a financial perspective. I'm going to get there in a moment. But that, what God wants us to do is give it all back to him because he gave it all to us in the first place. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Presenting your bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice means giving your all to God. Giving everything to God. And of course, everything must include our finances is the reality here. So now my question is, what does Paul say about giving to the church? What does Paul say? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 says this. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, you see, this has always been my thought here. And this, is, this application isn't only for our financial giving. It's for any, anything we give to God, either our time, our, 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 our talents, our service, our works, whatever it is, right? God doesn't need you. He's God in heaven. God in heaven is in control of all things. God created the universe in seven days. I'm pretty sure he can figure out how to accomplish his plans if we're being stubborn, is the point. What God is asking us to do is be a part of it. He's invited us to be a part of this. He's invited us to, to work with him in evangelism. I mean, think about that for a second. God is the creator of all the universe. He doesn't need us to tell other people about him. I mean, I'm sure God can find a much more effective way to evangelize instead of asking us to do it. Yet he didn't do that. He asked us to be a part of it. And the same is true of his finance, of financial giving. God doesn't, he'll, he can provide in many different ways, but God has asked us to be a part of that provision. He's asked us to give back to him because he doesn't want us just to give because we feel like we have to give. It's not an obligation. It's not like in the Old Testament making sacrifices to God in order to achieve, to achieve forgiveness of sins and salvation. God wants us to give to him cheerfully and joyfully, not grudgingly or under compulsion. So this brings me to the question, is tithing, if tithing is not an Old Testament thing, how much should a Christian give? In talking to the Christians in Corinth about taking up a collection to provide for the impoverished Christians in Jerusalem, Paul gives this advice. So there was a group of Christians in Jerusalem that were in an extreme state of poverty as a result of persecution. This is what Paul says to the Corinthian Christians about them. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 to 4, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church in Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to also go, they will go with me. But really what I'm looking at there is verse 2. Paul is saying that they are, he's calling for them to give according to how much they make. The word I would use is proportionally, which means percentage. 
which brings me back to the idea is where do we come up with a percentage? How much should we give? And I, and I just think if God gave us everything, the least we can do is give 10% back. But that's between you and God. I'm not going to tell you what to give. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. And I think the Bible calls us to give back to the Lord, and I encourage you to do so. And in your giving, you're supporting the kingdom of God. Like I said, part of the money that we give goes to, to throughout the world. Um, to help missionaries, and that's why we give. We don't give just because we have to. We give because in giving, we're, gonna, we're spreading the gospel to all the nations, either through the shoeboxes or through our Lottie Moon Christmas offering or through just financially supporting the church. So I just I want you to understand what the Bible says, but in the end of it, it's between you and God. It's what is God telling you to do in your heart? And, and talk to him and ask him, and I feel that he will tell you. So let me recap real quickly as I close up. Central Baptist Church needs to be a gospel-driven church, a loving and welcoming church, and then finally a financially generous church. Um, W.A. Criswell, pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas of 49 years and former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, tells of an ambitious young man who told his pastor he'd promised God a tithe of his income. They prayed for God to bless his career. At that time, he was making $40 per week and tithing $4. In a few years, if in a few years his income increased and he was tithing $500 a week, he called on the pastor to see if he could be released from his tithing promise. It was just too costly now. The pastor replied, I don't see how you can be released from your promise, but we can ask God to reduce your income to $40 a week again. Then you'd have no problem tithing $4. Very true. All Christians are called to be servants of the Lord. That's the point here. We're all called to serve God. This means telling the world about Christ through, through the salvation you have in Christ through evangelism. This means being welcoming and loving to other people inside and outside the church. And then finally, this means contributing to the ministry of Christian causes, especially within your own church. Let's close in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you for all that you've done. I ask that you bless us now as we remember you and all that we do. Help us know that you love us so greatly and help us know that you have a plan for us that's so much beyond our understanding, Lord. I ask that you lead us into a closer relationship with you. Allow us to know that everything will be okay if we trust in you, Lord. That means if we trust you to be evangelists to our family and our friends, everything's going to be okay. If we trust you to help us be loving to people that we're not as that we don't really want to be loving towards, that everything will be okay. And if we trust you to give back to you um, through the offering plate, Lord, we need to trust that everything's going to be okay. So, Lord, I praise you and I thank you in your name. Amen.